everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start the show, be sure to tune into Vogue World happening today. Today! Yes, yes, today, September 14th. In London, my hometown. Yes. You can watch the live stream at Vogue.com starting at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. London Time, for a celebration of London theater with opera, dance, music, and, of course, fashion. And you can see Kate Moss, F.K. Twigs, Cara Delevingne, Stormzy, Sienna Miller, and more. Wow. So, yes. Vogue.com, 3 p.m. 8 p.m. London time. (laughs) Okay, now on to today's show. This is The Run-Through. I'm Chloe Mal. And I'm Joe Minardi. Oh my God, it's it's day six of Shark Week. I know, I feel like it's like, uh, and on the seventh day, he rested. (laughs) Very ready for Shark Week to be complete. (laughs) Who has been long Shark Week? Long in the tooth. <laughs> oh, God. I didn't see that one coming. I know. Later on in the show, we have model and activist Beth Ann Hardison talking to us all about her amazing career and her new film, Invisible Beauty, that is out in theaters today. Yeah, you have to must, must, must go see it. It's so good. We also have Virginia Smith here with us. Our, Welcome, Virginia. Our colleague. Yeah, Virginia is Vogue's global head of fashion. Virginia, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us again on the podcast. You ladies have been out much more than I have. I know. I mean, the show, I think Virginia's probably lost count. Do you know how many shows you've been to this week? I, You know, I think about 25. I think oh. around 25. Um, wow. Did some previews before, uh, you know, and a few appointments in between. But, you know, not terrible. Not terrible. Definitely doable. But it's been... You know, we had some logistical challenges and some weather challenges this week that did not help things at all. I mean, we've had this beautiful weather and then every day was a monsoon. But, um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, there were very 
dramatic weather extremes from yeah. the monsoon to the double rainbow yes. to the like <laughs> and to all of the weird bugs what are the red bugs that were meant oh, to the smash? lantern flies oh my god at, so at michael calls this lantern fly kept on buzzing around like people on the front row and i so distracted i just kept looking at the bug and not the clothes and i missed the entire collection wow because <laughs> i hate those things i know it's why like, i'm afraid of bugs this is a real phobia of mine but i don't think they bite they're but just they're annoying. Gross. I don't want it crawling over me. Oh, okay, okay. Do you? <laughs> I take a lanternfly over a rat any day. It oh. landed on like five people and they had no idea and it was like close to this woman's neck and I was just like, oh, man. I think it might have ended up on Lisa Aiken because it came, one came out of her shirt at the end of the it show. Was, it, they, were, they were everywhere. <laughs> but it was a beautiful setting. You could it see. Was. I mean, it was literally picture perfect it was on the banks of the of the east river on the brooklyn side i don't know if i've ever been to that actual space before but it was really i mean they really lucked out on the weather that would have been difficult had the weather not been so great but it was also on september 11th and you were looking at the world trade center from that perspective it was quite you know sort of emotional before you know the show started to sort of take a moment and you know have that view and have a little you know, moment to yourself to, you know, think about that. Um, mm. And then there was this incredible show. So it was, that was a really nice location. What was the most surprising thing that happened during Fashion Week? Well, probably the protesters at Coach started <laughs> off to be a little surprising. They they seemed to be out there for quite some time before they were noticed, uh, which was also surprising. What but, was your and Anna and JLo's reaction? Because you guys were all sitting next to each other, oh, right? Well, at first I was like, since no one really, they stayed out there quite a long time, and they actually seemed quite happy to be out there, which usually is not the case. So I, I was like a little confused, I guess. And then you could tell, well, they were actually not supposed to be out there. So that was surprising. And they, it was from PETA, and they were protesting coaches' use of leather. Leather, I believe, yes. So, and they just slipped in. It seemed like they were very well integrated. It was the, crazy. Yeah. And one of them, so basically one of them w- w- was completely covered in body paint, so was naked. Because somebody thought that that was a look. Somebody turned to me and was like, is that a look from the show? Like, Caperny by Coach? I think, yeah. I think she's naked and that's body paint. And then J-Lo's, one of JLo's people turned to me and said, oh, she's big on TikTok. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and I was like, I've never seen her. Wow. <laughs> and that was the same day as the U.S. Open protester, the Extinction Rebellion oh protester, God, glued yeah, themselves to the court. So it was a, it was a big theme of the week. The U.S. Open was so fun to look at photos of this year. Yeah. It was like uh, Wimbledon. Everyone was dressed up. I feel mm. like everyone who's striking and didn't have uh, any I, movies to be acting in were at right? the U.S. Open. Yeah. Everybody was at the U.S. Open. It was. I mean, obviously, the U.S. Open is is always during Fashion Week, and it's always it's one of my favorite times in New York because I actually moved to New York years and years ago during this time and it was I remember the US Open was going on so it gives me very fond memories on any year but this year I think because all the Americans were you know out in full force all the American tennis players and they were doing so well Coco and then all the men and it was really just felt very much a part of of things when we got back in September so it was real it was fun it was a great energy Did um, either of you guys go at all? Oh, God, I was asked to at the very last minute to go to one, and I just couldn't swing it. I couldn't yeah. get out of, of fashion shows and yeah. get that done. It's so hard to, yeah, have both And they go happening. so late. My neighbor was didn't get back until 3 a.m. He went, like, religiously. And actually, our colleague, Corey Seymour, went every every day, I think, and wow. to cover it. Um, I mean, I, the one, I wish I'd have seen that, that one with Coco. The Coco It just Goff. seemed like yeah. such a great, yeah, I'm just, a bit, I'm like... 
Like, she's my new favorite now. She is pretty great. All right, so what are the highlights? What did you love? I tell you what, I thought Proenza had a really great show, a really great, amazing— that. It's good. It was very good, and they're coming off. Their fall show was also very strong, so I feel like there's a lot of momentum behind them right now, but it was super chic, really great energy. You know, to me, it was— You know, it definitely had that sort of New York in the 90s vibe that's been very prevalent this week in New York. Um, And they were cool clothes that you just want to wear. And I think it really played to their strengths. And I was just very happy to see, you know, another strong outing from them. It felt like a school reunion or something. And it was like, you know, they're just they just have such an eclectic group of friends. So I like people watching at that yeah. show, and it was a good one to people watch at. The other show, surprisingly, that had amazing energy. I think you and I t- spoke about this. Philip Lim. Philip Lim. I, miss, I feel so terrible I missed it. I literally have to write Philip a note because I heard it was incredible, and oh, I feel so silly for not I love his being stuff. able to have, make it. You know, Philip is like, he just quietly has built a really, mm. you know, impressive business. And he's just, he's such a nice guy. I don't think he's actually showed for the past couple of seasons. Okay, maybe that's So why. I went to this one, and I have to say, it was quite the happening, and mm. a lot of really great crowd, really great crowd. And then the clothes were really, really well done, especially, you know, for that price point. And I, w- I was very, very happy for him. And then, you know, I thought Altazara had a good outing, Tori Birch, incredible show. Um, and then there, did you see... Um, advisory. Did you see that? I missed. Hey, this is oh, so great. Cute kid who named Keith Heron, who's I think he's been designing since he was thirteen, apparently, and he's done a, a, I think a few other shows. This is my first time to go to one, and I just thought it was really interesting. And he, I guess, he's a big film buff, and this show was based on. Um, the sort of advent of Technicolor and the yellow and Wizard of Oz and Yellow Brick, Brick Road, oh, fun. and I just thought it was so interesting to see this young this young man drawing from those references. Yeah. Those are not things that are normally like, uh, especially for this younger generation that are normally in their zeitgeist. And it it was it looked very original, very authentic to him, and it was really refreshing to see. So that was a fun one for me. Yeah, and he dressed. I think he dressed Chiosi for the, for the Mets. He and did. He looked, he, lo- he looked great, and I just was like, "Who's this young kid?" And his pop ups get have r- lines around the block. Really? I have a pair of the the Ugg collab that he did. They're really good, but it was like they went like hotcakes. What other brands did you discover this season that you hadn't gone to a show before? There was a new brand called Form um, that I went to. The designer's name is Paul Hilbers. Um, and it was very, very, you know, very minimal, very clean. Um, I I think it's the first time he has had a show in, in New York. And um, it was it was really well done. And it was so funny. You know who loves it is Jose. We were talking right, about right, it. Right, right, He's right. obsessed. Jose Criales Unzueta, who reviews for Vogue Runway. Yeah. Has, yeah. I don't think of uh, Jose like lo- like loving minimal clothes, but it was so like— He loves it. He yeah. was like, you know, but I, I thought it was a really strong outing. The clothes looked beautifully made. Um, I mean, quiet for sure, but that it's that's sort of a nice change. You know, you we don't have a lot of that. You see yeah. them on because they—I have like a T-shirt of theirs, and it's— the way, the construction of it so you just has no hanger appeal, but when you put it on, it has this like subtle draping. 
So Form was a fun debut, runway debut. Anyone else, either of you guys, were excited to see either sort of come onto a bigger stage or debut? Any CVFFers that you thought did a particularly great job? I didn't make it to his presentation, uh, sadly, but Zankoff uh, oh, yeah, was, was supposed to be really good. And Diatima were supposed to also be very good. Both uh, fashion funders, this in finalists this year, both actually very knitwear focused too, mm-hmm. oddly enough. But uh, those two, pre- the, both presentations and were supposed to be really, I looked at the picture as well, like really good. I'm actually wearing Zankoff today. Okay. Um, I love his knits. I think that they just have a sense of joy and they're really easy to wear. And he's like expanding his range. So I was really excited to do to see what he would do. And then just he just rose to the occasion. It was, I think it was nerve wracking for them both because they'd never really even done a presentation before. So, um, and and both of them were really well attended. So it was, I think it was, I saw them both and they just seemed really overwhelmed. It was really, it was really sweet. And I'm already thinking about personal orders from Diatima. There was this one <laughs> tank top that was like encrusted with tiny pearls. And oh, I have one that was crystal. Yeah. Oh my God. I just love like a grandpa, like, you know, like tank and with with something special on it. And, like, she's got her knits are really, really pretty. Really pretty. Did you see Paloma Spain? I didn't, but that looked good. That on, looked That looked beautiful. good on Instagram. Okay. Spanish really brand. Pretty. And they're menswear, but sort of quite romantic menswear. So there's lots of, like, beautiful blouses and... Um, there's I mean, a black pant with feather. Do you see the black feather no, pant? I miss that. Oh, that's I'm very obsessed. Virginia Smith moment. I'm you need those. I, I really do. If you're listening... <laughs> Paloma <laughs> Spain... <laughs> We need some effort. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about my other favorite moment, which, Chloe, you were part Ooh. of, was Tiffany Haddish Heather. and Tori Birch. I mean, I mean. Yes. I love it so much when someone comes to a fashion show who isn't just the jaded, grumpy fashion editor yeah. and just has the best time. And Tiffany Haddish was living her best life at the front row of Tory Burch, which wasn't like a particularly raucous show. It was a pretty— Well, I don't think it was supposed to be, <laughs> but <laughs> Tiffany was making it much more energetic than probably they imagined. But she was, you know, giving her own commentary, and it was so funny. It was so funny. And she it... was audibly—I mean, there were there were bells involved, and she was very excited. She was going, this for holiday, and she was just <laughs> loving the whole thing. It was really fun because it was that had been a very long day, and it was an 8 p.m. show, and just as your, your energy was sinking, <gasps> Tiffany brought it right back up. I mean, I've been in love with her since— the SNL opening monologue yeah. about the McQueen dress. That was one of the funniest things ever. Oh, wait, we didn't talk about McQueen yet. What do you, what do you feel? Oh, so sad. I feel sad. Era. Yeah. Tell us what happened. Well, it was just announced this week that Sarah Burton, who's been at McQueen, um, who had, for many years, I've had, for, I mean, gosh, decades. She yeah, worked decades. under She worked under Lee, Lee McQueen, yeah. yeah. Is stepping down. And it just seems like really an end of an era. I remember... Um, one of the first times I think I met her was her first presentation that she was, I think, continuing on. I think Lee had started it, and she was, uh, you know, going to continue with it. And you could just feel for her. She was dealing through such personal grief, but, you know, obviously a professional responsibility, too, and wanting so much to, you know, do it for him and his the memory of him. And, you know, of course, then she went on to make that brand her own and do so many, you know, so many incredible, incredible shows and incredible collections and, you know, but 
I'm sure good things are in her future as well as the the McQueen brands, but you know. So she'll do this show and then this will be her swan song. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just such an interesting position. So few people are in the position where they where they learn, you know, they're mentored by the person and then have to pick up the brand or are sort of tasked with picking up the brand. Like in that way, I mean, when you think of Virginie Vaillard, she had to do the same thing and it's often a woman and with huge responsibility and they both risen to the occasion, you know. Yeah, and, Virginie is at Chanel, obviously. Yeah, uh, under different circumstances, the new designer at Tom Ford is a similar mm. choice because he he worked under Tom for many 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 years it must be difficult because you 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 sort of you're so intimate with the brand it's not like you can be like um Demna at Balenciaga right. and completely reinvent the wheel you sort of have to like pay homage to the past and also move things forward it's quite a tricky task yeah but she did it she so did it she really amazingly. did it beautifully so you know we but shall see we shall see but you know she obviously it's, it was a good run, as they say. We were, I feel, you know, very lucky to have been an editor during her her time there. So she's definitely editor's favorite. I feel like you've you've had, I mean, looks at the Met in McQueen. No, I, I did wear the McQueen incredible. to the Met this year. You look stunning. I mean, <gasps> was there diversity on the runway in body wise, mm-hmm. racially? I think New York's always the best at it, really, in, as far as body diversity. I hope we've moved. I mean, I do think like. Especially in New York, I feel that we, you know, it's such a global, international city. You really feel that racial diversity is no longer something that we we have to. I hope it's not something that we have to talk about. I don't feel it is, especially on the runway. Um, but body diversity, I still feel that some of the shows, some of the, some of the shows were quite. The girls were quite thin. Um, I just felt everyone yeah. is thin right now. Yeah. yeah, the body diversity, I did feel. You know, aside from a few shows and a few designers who always do that, um, it could we could probably we definitely need to improve upon that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In fact, um, Paloma wrote a really interesting story about why. Well, it was as told to. We, we ran a story with her about why she felt it was really important for her to come back to New York Fashion Week because she took a season off, mm. and she just felt that like her absence was felt and the responsibility that she sort of carries. Um, felt heavier this season. You're headed to Milan on Monday. Are there other shows that you're looking forward to, or what's? Yes. Well, I, I, you know, I as as I have told you, I actually love Milan. Uh, Milan used to get a bad rap for many years, but I've always loved it. Um, but I think all eyes are going to be on Gucci mm. and the debut of Sabito, and he was just up here. Um, Last week or so. He came to say hi, guys. He came to say hi. Sabato de Sarno. Sabato de Sarno is the new. Designer for Gucci. It's his first show. And he, what a what an adorable guy. Mm. I mean, really. He, he, charm, he charmed us. Yeah. He really did. He, he has is, a, a cute dachshund that travels with him that I was very interested he's in. He's adorable. <laughs> so I'm, Anything with dogs, Chloe, <laughs> is right. wild for. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be very exciting to see. Um, and then... There's obviously Bottega and Prada mm. that we're always very happy to see. And I love Milan. I'm looking forward to being there, to be honest. Well, Virginia, we know that you have a lot going on today. So we <laughs> I are better going go to back into the closet. Go, back 20. into the closet. <laughs> I wish there was a little tunnel just to go straight through. <laughs> I know, through. exactly. The Run Through will be back in just a moment with Beth Ann Hardison.
I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a backyard staycation, Macy's has what you need this summer. Shop the easiest and breeziest brands like Nina Parker, Vince Camuto, and Dolce Vita. Macy's has all your must-have items from sundresses to matching sets to wedges, beach bags and towels, you name it. Stock up for summer at Macy's. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style today. That's Macy's.com slash own your style. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So we are so excited for this next conversation. Beth Ann Hardison is a woman who's done it all. She was a model in the 70s, and her most famous moment turn as a model was at the Battle of Versailles which was this epic showdown between, I guess, the American designers of the time. Five American designers five versus... Versus five uh, Parisian designers. Yeah. It was in 1973, and it was really the first time that American fashion was taken more seriously yeah. versus the European, um, more couture um, type of clothing. Exactly. And Bethann had a runway view. <laughs> <laughs> she did. She did indeed. And then... In the 80s, um, she started her own modeling agency. And uh, she is a major activist in the industry. She founded the Black Girls Coalition with model Iman. I mean, without Bethann, I think these conversations around diversity, especially when it comes to race, would not, would not, would not have happened, maybe, or would have been right. delayed. She sort of pushed... She really catalyzed a lot of that. She catalyzed a lot of it. Bethan, thank you so much for joining us. We've been very excited about this for quite a long time. Choma's been teasing us with the, the possibility of this interview, and then we oh, this is nice. We got you. We got you. We got you. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Yes, my name is Bethan Hardison, and I am at this present moment a co-director of a wonderful film that everyone says is Invisible Beauty. Yes, I saw the film and I loved it. We've all watched it. 
You invited me to I didn't realize the... until the end that you co-directed it. I sort of had a gasp moment. That's must have been so fascinating and odd. I feel like it's like Clint Eastwood directing himself. Wow. I would have gone with more Christopher Nolan, but I think <laughs> <laughs> there's a little bit more my aspiration. <laughs> but uh, Well, he's not in his movies. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> that was very interesting. I, it, it was good that he asked me to do that. Uh, Frederick Chang is my co-director, and he really said he would do the film only if he wants to do the film, but only if I agree to be the co-director. Mm. And when he said it, I knew he was saying the right thing because I've been wanting to always make film. And I was working on another documentary that eventually turned into Invisible Beauty, but wind up being my story instead of the story I was trying to tell before, before it was an expose on uh, the industry. In a way, you were able to tell the story you wanted to tell, but it just ended up being a different path to get there. Yeah, I like that. I remember, Bethan, when I when I first interviewed you, because I've... When was that, Joma? Oh, I mean, the thing is about Bethan is as soon as, like, you meet her, she kind of just puts you under her wing. So I was <laughs> like, it must have been 2012, maybe? A long time. Was that Fader? Fader. It was probably 15 years ago. Yeah. And I remember going up to Bethan's apartment, and I was totally in awe. Gramercy Park, okay. beautiful apartment, beautiful books, beautiful objects. Obviously, I was dying to get into a closet. We didn't get that far. <laughs> Hearing the story of your life, yeah. part of it, and yeah. then watching this movie and seeing just how rich and deep, you know, your story was so amazing. And yeah. there are so many chapters of your life that I think, you know, we're never going to get a chance to revisit everything. I know everybody asks you about this, but this this is one of my favorite parts of the movie, The Battle of Versailles. <laughs> Watching it through your eyes, too, was yeah. incredible. Yeah. The Battle of Versailles, or Versailles, was with five American designers and five European designers. And it was a, the brainstorm of Elmer Lambert and who don't get the credit, which will always be mine, is Francois Delorento, who was a previous wife, deceased, of Oscar. They came up with this idea. She had connections to Europe because she was a European. And... Eleanor was very wise about always knowing how to promote her people, and everybody that was going to Versailles that she selected was someone she represented. And Eleanor Lambert, for Ella people who Lambert, don't know, yes. was sort of invented the idea of fashion publicity. Is that a fair description? I love where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> she was an icon. She invented the best dress list, the idea. I mean, she was sort of a mover and shaker of fashion. Versailles was something that five designers of America, which were hers, which was Halston and Bill Blass, Oscar de la Renta, Stephen Burroughs, and Anne Klein. And then the French, it was, you know, Yves Saint Laurent, Gilles Blanchy, uh, Marc Bohan. Uh, Angaro and Christian Dior's Marc Bohan. But at the end of the day, we wind up going into this thinking that it's going to be just, you know, in the beginning, a wonderful thing. But then the French press started saying months into it, you know, oh, what are they doing coming over? They're just <laughs> competing against the French. It was never supposed to be a competition. Where did they get that from? And then they went on to say, they're just American designers. They just only do sportswear. How could they come up against Couturier of France? Oh, my God, give us a break. And, <laughs> and we had to go over there. It's not like they come into your house and they're talking stuff, you know. <laughs> you got to go to their house and they talk stuff. It's an away game. And then you go away, <laughs> away game. And they have 
the toilet paper is not there really for the bathrooms. And, oh, no. Oh, I'm telling you, they didn't have the food they were supposed to get us. And it's a cold place because it's the palace. Uh. They don't have, like, central heating, you know. It's, <laughs> it's, it, so it was really quite struggle. And, and every model who went had to have three designers who selected them. So at the very last moment, I got uh, Oscar because I had Ann Klein. I had Stephen. So in the end of the day, it wound up being a great thing that we all wind up winning Versailles because we didn't have sets because Joe Euler thought, well, he was thinking in inches. They sent him over this, that the stage was in centimeters. Oh, of my course. God. He gets there. The sets don't fit. Oh, God. We had nothing. All we had was oh, the girls, no. as I say, the girls in the, the music. And the French was out of control. They thought they had the Ed Sullivan show. They thought they had a real variety situation. So theirs was a mess, and ours was neat because of fault. And when I went down that stage, because it wasn't a runway, it was on the stage in the Murray Antoinette Theater, and when they started stomping and throwing the programs in the air, even though we went on first, we knew we had them. Wow. And then it continued. So then it became a great thing. Did you have any idea that you well? We felt very good. Any hope that yeah. it was going to go your way? Yeah, we did. Once once they screamed and stomped like that, Eve, yeah, that was that. That hadn't happened before. I didn't mm. know if they could get what we got because then it, most of the people in that audience was the royals, you know, mm. and Europeans. So it wasn't like anyone was there to root for us and you right. had a vote, you know. So if they did that, it was them rooting for us. So when they came on, it was so much of a mess. They should have had, like, maybe someone being blown out of a cannon. That's how much, you know, <laughs> variety they had. They had the Crazy Horse Saloon. They had Nuriev. They had Josephine Baker. They, you oh, named wow. it. They had everybody performing. So it, it really was a lot where ours was a very simplistic, tight. Just to be clear, so was it that the French did not have a diverse casting? Like, how did race exactly factor into all of the Battle of the Sire? They had a diverse casting in far as diversity, right. not talking racial diversity. Right. right. Ten black girls on a stage like that was a lot. Yes. You know what I mean? When you're integrating. But it was clean, so you wouldn't get lost in the, the fray of all of that, what we say, stage stuff, you know, where the French, it was so much that they brought on that stage, you could barely see what was really happening. With mm. us, it was so clean that you could see. So I think you would really notice that the, the models of color, you noticed them mm. because they were so integrated amongst the whites and the dancers. Mm. It wasn't like it was segregated. Mm. And so for that, that's what I'm always fighting for. Right. Racial diversity, if we all just get along, after a while, you don't even notice it. That's and that's it exactly be. what's been happening mm. recently. Well, I was fascinated in the movie that— it's pointed out that in the mid-90s, there was this dramatic shift towards much more homogenous, white, very malnourished young women because the Berlin Wall had come down. That's and right. so the Eastern Bloc had opened, and there were all these beautiful, sharp-cheekboned blonde women coming in. And I I never really clocked that that w- would have shifted the way things worked. Oh, so many things shifted that we didn't have before. We never had casting directors. We never had stylists. Designers Mm. didn't have such things. Designers were that. They didn't have outside people to come in and tell them what to do because that happened. That changed everything. That killed the muses. Model is muse is a very important slogan. Hmm. Eastern European open and casting directors, not casting directors, but scouts started going in 
in bringing those girls forward. Wow. And they were proper in many ways because they were the girls whose body alignment was exactly what we would draw. But what wound up happening is because these designers had hired these people to do that, they started listening to them. Mm. Unfortunately, it became a trend. It wasn't about the clothes. Linda Evangelista couldn't have gotten a job at that moment. Mm. It, wasn't about, it wasn't necessarily about the black girl, per se. Right. So the point of it is, is ignore that, take away the glamour, just put the girl in the clothes. Anonymity. That's it. Just roll them down like, you know, like hangers. They're just going down the conveyor belt. You can do that one season, two, maybe up to four or five. Then after a while, it starts getting to be a trend. Then the trend starts to become permanent. Mm. And there we had a problem. And how did you change that? Because I was amazed at the documentary that it's almost you single-handedly. I mean, not single-handedly, but you led this charge. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing you, I think you're very direct. You've faced things head on. It was like you got the industry together to work it out as a family. It did feel like it was like a family working its issues out together. I don't know what what your thinking was at the time. I'm going to go with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like people were really getting into it. You know, I had left the model industry in 1996, and I had gone down to Mexico again, and I started hanging out. I'm getting these calls from Naomi Campbell. Ma, you got to come back. You got to come back. Oh, Lord. And then I'd come into town for a little bit, and there's Kim Heistrader from Paper Magazine said, you know, the only reason why things are going south is because you're no longer here. Somebody needs to be the voice. And I remember the New York Times writing this article when I was leaving the industry saying, what's going to happen? Who's going to be the person Mm. to keep people conscious? That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Can you hear what I said? I said, don't put that on me. Y'all got things to do. Get on it. (laughs) I really did. I I walked on down on the plane and kept it moving. Yeah. And then, of course, you start to see, and I'm saying, oh, God, because who could do it? Who could say it to them? I've been saying it for a while in different ways to different people, and it works always because they trust me, you know? And those town hall meetings were really important, I promise you. What did that mean, a town hall meeting in this case? It's a gathering of people that are really local community, of Mm -hmm. any community, and you you just want the people to come in. And in this case, it's the people of an industry. And to gather the people who I got, and it fills up the room, and it was standing room only. And, you know, it was nervous because I'm getting ready to, to do this thing. And I had these little cards, and I was reading about what I felt were things that really were my pet peeves. What's an example of a pet peeve? It was where they say that we're not using black models this season. Uh, and you and the model agency has to tell the girl that, or saying that black covers don't sell. Well, that could be true. That can be true at that time. But give it some time, and I bet they will. Now right. now they do. Thank God I have people like Franco Sazzani from Italian Vogue and, you know, people who want to do something more. And, you know, she made me get involved with that. It will you was explain to, what that was for people who don't know? Yeah, the all-black issue was that she put, you know, girls of color on the magazine, but also in the issue was all black model editorials, and mm-hmm. that was done by Stephen Mycell. Edward NFL did one part at editorial. Franca wanted me to do another we, just to keep boosting the consistency of having the editorial, blacks uh, editorial enough to so keep seeing it. But then after a while, it just went quiet at one point, and I didn't know what else to do. It, it didn't go quiet. It just kept slipping back. You go three mm-hmm. steps forward, two steps back, three steps. It kept, and then that's when I had to write the letters. Mm. Yeah, tell us about that open yeah. letter. I literally was writing, and I, and I did it so naturally. It just came to me so easily. So you wrote that in one sitting, just 
Yeah. And I sent it to Kyle Hagler and James Scully mm-hmm. individually and said, so what do you think of this? One is a casting agent, and, the, um, and Kyle is, uh, was a model, a, agent. a model agent. And uh, they were like my backup band, you know. I mm-hmm. could get pretty much, you know, check in with them on things. And they weren't—I didn't call them together. I had to make a call to them. And I sent it to them, and they said, wow, this is strong. You got to send it. And interesting enough, I sent it out, and it affected immediately. That's amazing. Immediately. Wow. And you named fashion brands who you felt were not using. What I didn't feel. Oh, yeah. I looked. Well, we did the data. We right. had to really look. We had to do enough of it. And in the end of the day, yes, it's true. They were guilty. I can't believe it's been 10 years since that open letter. But that's what someone said to me. I was doing an interview. They said, now on the 10th anniversary of your open... I had to think about that. I mm. said, wow. And I can deserve a tequila. I know that's your drink of choice. That's right. <laughs> Just less. Bethann, I have to say, some of my favorite parts of the movie were hearing about your childhood. Uh-huh. And I also I listened to a podcast that you did, and I loved that the interviewer said, you grew up in Bedside, And you said, uh-uh. I grew up in Bedford-Stuyvesant. Yes. It's different. You were a latchkey kid. You were a member of a gang. Yeah. But you also were a tap dancer. Oh, well-known like, tap dancer. Child tap Wow. Ball. Yeah, no. Still very good on the dance floor. Oh, yes. We're going to do a little dancing. Bedford-Stuyvesant was something that wasn't so gentrified as it is now. We didn't even see white people. <laughs> but I never needed someone to look like me to give me confidence about me. I had it in my neighborhood. It was very nice, and it was, you know, you were constant in self-reflection of what you look like culturally. Um, So that was one thing, too. Yes, it's true. We could hang out. I was a last-key kid. That allowed you the fact that your parents could work, and you could still go out and have a good time after school and let yourself back in after, after you get home. So those things don't happen so much anymore. Uh, I was really interested to hear about your father and your time living with your father oh, and that yeah. he would bring you in when he was hosting Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X. And I just wonder what your memories were like because you were, what, 12 and early teens? My memories of him was wonderful because of the fact that he was so brilliant. Um, he taught me so many things that stayed with me. Because your father you... was an imam. Yeah, he was an imam. He was an um, Islamic leader. Mm. And so it was very interesting to me that he he just— you know, he just had me doing so many interesting things, and he made me aware of so many things that most parents and children don't have that experience. He would have me send telegrams to um, the Secretary of State when the Suez Canal was in siege. He would have me, you know, to show me that you can, you all, we all have a voice. Mm, you know? Wow. He would, he would, <laughs> he wanted to be vegetarian. Oh, my God, what a, what, you to be vegetarian in the, uh, late fifties is not a good idea. No, but <laughs> <laughs> he we we he he had us doing it for two weeks, and then he just realized that it was god awful. It was awful. Oh, he ju- he was a juicer. He had, we had an extractor at home. We would wow, juice. Wow, early juicing. And people would say to me, "Your father juiced back then." We yeah, well, it was n- normal stuff he did. Oftentimes, I say I am truly my father's child when I see how I respond to people. It was so wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for coming. Everybody go see the movie. It's it's so good. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for for coming, Bethann. You're welcome. That's it for today's episode of The Run Through. 
And tomorrow on the run through, we have British folks Edward Enninfall. He'll be here to recap everything that happened at Vogue World. And, you know, we have this little pop star who's going to be spilling her guts. Get it? It's, oh, who's going to guess who it is? It's Olivia Rodrigo. I'm very excited. You chatted with her when I was on vacation, and I am very excited to hear about everything she had to tell you. The Run Through Evoke is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. The show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns. It's engineered by Jake Loomis and Gabe Kiroga and mixed by Mike Kutchman. See you soon. Bye. Get balanced or thrive trying. My name is Les and I'm the host of Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to helping you feel your best. Join me for casual conversations about what it means to live a well-rounded life. I cover everything from how to make friends as an adult to how to create a workout routine that works for you to how to practice better financial wellness. Tune in for approachable conversations with wellness thought leaders and inspiring guests, as well as intimate solo chats with me for relatable advice. Follow wherever you get your podcasts and look out for new episodes every Tuesday. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.